this uh, talk today is part of a series that um, Hope Christian Centre has been going through, looking at living in Christ, Christ living in, in us and us living in the world, um, using John, those four chapters of John's Gospel when Jesus is speaking to his disciples around the table um, on the night that he was arrested and um, tried and, or, you know, we know that whole story. So this is an incredibly meaningful part of scripture because it's like the last time Jesus sat down and ate with his followers, his immediate disciples, and he shared with them out of his heart. And we can really see that coming through in the things that he talks about and how he expresses it. And this week we're looking at this particular theme of unity. And George has already um, shown us how important this theme is amongst several key primary themes that define what we believe and the way in which we follow Jesus. It is so important. And if you look at chapter 13 of John's Gospel, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other just as I loved you. Why? All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. The, the love that we show for each other is an expression of unity and it is important because it shows the rest of the world what the love of God, what the love of Jesus, what the love of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's a witness to the rest of the world, a testimony to the rest of the world. And so it's very important that we show that unity in the way we connect and relate to each other to the rest of the world. Because what's the alternative? Disunity and a lack of love. And if we show that to each other, what does that show to the world? It, it tells them something that is not true about God, but it, there's nothing about it that draws people to God. So it's absolutely important. And in the passage that we're looking at, the very last chapter of that passage, um, these four chapters, chapter 17, um, when Jesus is praying for the disciples, may they also be in us, Jesus and the Father, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, there's this reason why we are to be united so that the world will believe that God the Father sent Jesus the Son. He prays that we be brought to complete unity and he repeats it so that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's no getting away from it. The, the importance of us showing unity as the church, unity as the followers of Jesus is absolutely critical. 
It is just so important. So, we'll be looking at how these three subjects, living in Christ, Christ living in us and us living in the world, each intersect with this theme of unity as shown in this particular passage, John chapters 14 to 17. Now, I want you to imagine that you each have a little whiteboard or blackboard, depending on how old you are, uh, in front of you. And I'm going to ask you to draw a picture on your whiteboard, blackboard. But first you have to wipe it clean from whatever else is left on it. So wipe it clean, everybody. Wipe it clean. You missed a bit, Alison. That top, yeah. Okay, now... What I would like you to do is draw a simple symbol that to you represents unity on your little whiteboard, okay? Come on, everybody. All right. Did anybody draw a symbol that looks like this? Probably not. I would think there were quite a few circles. Yeah? Maybe a few crosses. And if there's any rabid mathematicians in the room, Michael, maybe a one. But nobody drew this, did they? Does it look like unity in any way? Not really. Perhaps not at all. But I would suggest to you that in the eyes of many people, that may well be a representation of the Christian church, all the different denominations. Is that a fair, a fair thing? Maybe if you looked at it as a branch. It's the same way. We offer, if you Google you know, Christian denominations or something, you'll, you'll come up with something that looks a little bit like this. this. All these branches and, dare I call them, divisions and separations and so on. And a historian would say, oh well, here's the Orthodox Church breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church halfway through the 11th century. Here's the Lutheran Church breaking off from the Roman Catholics in 1519, Martin Luther. Here's the Church of England breaking off from the Roman Catholics in 1534, Henry VIII. Here's the Congregationalists breaking off from the Church of England, 1581. Here's the Methodists breaking off from the Church of England in 1784. Here's the Brethren breaking off from the Church of England in 1820. Here's the Pentecostalists breaking off from the Methodists in 1900. It doesn't look like unity, does it? It looks like a history, 2,000 years of division leading to separation and disunity. But what if we put the two images together and you start to get some sort of context to this picture that otherwise looks quite like disunity. This starts to look like something that we might be able to think of as unity because it shows the connections between the individual pieces. Now this is just a diagram, it's just an illustration, it's just a theoretical 
representation. So what might it look like in real life? What are we looking at now? Does anyone know what that is? Deciduous speech. It's a particular thing. It's unique. It's actually unique to Tasmania. It's a single organism of a defined type. Even though there's lots of individual leaves and the leaves are different colours, they're different shapes, they're in different positions, and the branches are fairly indistinct in this particular photograph, nonetheless, each of those elements is combined into a single thing that is immediately recognised as unique. There is nowhere else in the world that you will find this particular unique thing. Every branch and every twig and every leaf is reaching out into its own particular patch of sunlight. It's occupying a space that none of the other leaves occupy. Look, look at it. Can you see how that's true? That the plant is deliberately sending out a branch here into a bit of unoccupied space where it can receive the sun. And another branch is sending out a leaf into another unoccupied patch where it can receive the sun. And I think this is a powerful image of God's church. And the important thing in terms of the whole subject about unity is not where each leaf happens to be situated. I mean, that is important. But the leaves could be situated in different places and be completely separate and distinct from each other. Not united, but completely independent. But they are connected by the twigs and branches that join them to the trunk. And if we focus on that, then it becomes clear that this is one organism with many parts which is exactly how the church is described in the New Testament. And when you look at this particular plant against the background of the other things in its environment, what do you see? There are rocks, there's lichen on the rocks, there are snow gums, there are some dead King Billy pines, and the deciduous beech is very different to each of the other things around it. Clearly. And that's what the church should be like. It should be very different to the things around it. And it should be recognisable as a single organism connected to Jesus. And that's what unity really means. That's an expression of the unity that we're talking about. So there is a place for difference because there are so many different needs in our community, so many 
different individuals with their own stories who need to find a way of connecting with Jesus and they're not all going to connect with Jesus through the same relationship with one of us who God's placed there to talk to them about Jesus. They're going to be connected to Jesus in all sorts of different ways. So it's, it's tremendous that that is the way in fact that the church has grown. And if we focus on the division and the, and the apparent outcome of the division, we're not seeing the connection. Now, a lot of those divisions have happened in really ugly ways. I don't deny that for one moment. And we could spend the rest of our life talking about why each of those divisions has happened and what conflict led to it because usually it was some sort of conflict about something and we could talk about that and talk about that and talk about and talk about and what does the world hear us talking about disunity and separation and difference uh, rejection which is not what we want the world to be hearing about God's church because as we saw in that first passage I referred to we are to display unity so that the world will know why God sent Jesus to the earth and, and so that the world will see the love of Jesus through us. How do we do that? Well, we bless our Christian brothers and sisters in whatever denomination they may happen to be practicing their faith and we emphasize the things that we have in common, like the creed that we just sang. And we major on the things that we believe together because that's an expression of unity. And we don't have to go into all the other things and all the other um, differences in interpretation of scripture or differences in interpretation of people's experiences that have led to all these divisions that have taken place. And we can fellowship, we can join together in an evangelistic outreach in our own city from whatever denomination we happen to come and work together to share Jesus' love with those who need to know who we are. And that's an amazing expression of the unity of the church and for the world to see that that's what's happening, that Catholics and Anglicans and Baptists and Presbyterians and people from Together Church and people from Hope are are coming together and blessing the city and its people together, putting aside these trivial, I have to say that, compared to the things that we believe together, the things that we differ on are trivial, putting them aside and just letting the world see us working together in, as the body of Christ connected by our faith in Jesus and what we believe about him and loving each other. You know, he's not here today, my, my friend David, but in many ways, David, he'd be sitting here, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. In many ways, David and I have got very little in common. I don't like jet skis. That, that's all I need to say. <laughs> I don't like jet skis. I only got very little, but I love the guy. as a Christian brother, as I love each one of you in the same way. And we are so different to each other. 
But that difference is trivial. The important thing is the thing we share, the thing that unites us, the thing that makes us part of one organism that is different to everything in the world around us, like the difference between the deciduous beach and the rocks in, in that image. The only thing that unites us is our shared connection to Jesus. The only important, enduring thing that unites us is our shared connection to Jesus. In chapter 14 of John's Gospel, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus, talking to his disciples, talking to each one of us, you are in me. Because of our faith in Jesus, we are living in Christ. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see that we have Jesus' commands and we keep them. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and will show myself to them. Jesus is declaring that he is united with us when we live in him. And how do we show that? We know his commandments and we keep them. What are the two most important commandments from Jesus' own lips? Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13, verse 34, I give you a new commandment, love each other. It is so important that we love God, that we love each other, and we love those we meet out on the streets. That shows unity with God. It shows unity with each other and it shows a desire to be united by a shared faith in Jesus with everybody that still doesn't know him. And that is us living in Christ. In chapter 15 of John's Gospel, Jesus is talking about the vine and he says, remain in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. There's a reciprocal here. We remain in him. We live in Christ. Christ lives in us. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So thinking back to that image of the the branch of the tree with all the leaves and, and you could interpret a branch to be a sign of division and 
going, parting of ways or going our separate ways. It's okay to be a branch. <laughs> it's okay to be reaching into a patch of sunlight that's unoccupied, a, a, a place where God's light needs to be reflected through us into the world around us so that people can see that light. It's okay. And I think uh, it's perhaps something that we can um, contemplate is blessing that diversity, blessing the fact that we've moved into different spaces through the history of the church, and blessing the fact that across all the denominations that, are represent, that represent the Christian church now, there are so many different expressions of what God has to offer to the world. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay. And I think we should acknowledge it by acknowledging the things that we have in common, the creed statements, our faith in Jesus. Notwithstanding any individual denominational differences between us, we are made one by Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit that he sent us. And again, this is in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. He lives with you and will be in you. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises his followers that he will give an advocate to help them, to be with us forever, the spirit of truth. And he acknowledges that the world won't accept the spirit because it can't see him and it doesn't know him. But we do know him because he lives within us. The Holy Spirit sent by Jesus lives within us. And in fact, we are therefore united. It's the same Holy Spirit in each one of us. So we are united by having the Holy Spirit in us. And so he lives with us and he is with us. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in us and with us. And Jesus goes on in this passage and says um, that when the world can't see Jesus anymore, when he's left, which of course happened 2,000 years ago, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. There's this complete unity between us and the, through the Holy Spirit, between us and Jesus, and through Jesus, between us and God the Father. We were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So again, I believe as an expression of the unity of the church, it is critically important for us to speak to the world of the things that, that unite us as a church and not to major on the things where we might have identified small trivial differences. Every branch, twig and leaf is reaching out into its own particular patch that has been illuminated by the light of Christ and has been prepared by him for us to occupy on his behalf.
We're connected by our faith in Jesus, which brings us into an eternal connection with God the Father. We have the same Holy Spirit coursing in our spiritual veins. And all of this makes us recognisably a single, unique organism of a defined type that is different to the world around us. And I believe we need to celebrate that fact more overtly in a way that the world can see. So that when you ask the world, what is the Christian church? It sees a body of people all over the world who are united. It doesn't see the differences. It sees what we have in common and what we are united by, which is our faith in Jesus, our belief in God the Father, our awareness of our own sinful position relative to God the Father and how that's resolved through Jesus' death on the cross and the proclaiming the victory of his resurrection and having the Holy Spirit in us. If the world saw the Christian church as a group of people that believed those things and that was how it thought of the church, the world will be a very different place. And in many ways at the moment, the world sees the Christian church as a fragmented, dissolute, fractious group. Lots of groups, in fact. They can't see the, the unity. And we have, to make, we, we have to change the way we talk about ourselves and each other and the way we act towards each other so that the world can see that unity rather than anything else. Now I know that there are times when questions arise that are difficult for congregations and the leaders of congregations to fathom. It's true. I mean, in this fellowship, as examples of things that have caused that kind of tension over time, you might look at the role of women in the church. There's a tension, you know, where some people interpret various scriptures to mean certain things and other people interpret them to mean something a bit different or they rely on a different scripture and that creates a tension which could become a difference and a separation. So how do we deal with that? It could be the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they're to be expressed in the life of the church. You know, in this, I know, in this fellowship, that is a question that bubbles to the surface from time to time. And there are different ways of looking at that question, which could lead to significant tension. And they could lead to division and separation and, you know, all sorts of ugly outcomes that look pretty much like what that branch, 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 branch history of the Christian church over the last 2,000 years has looked like because churches have gone different ways because of those sorts of issues over time. Well, the Bible does talk to us about how to approach these sorts of difficulties when they arrive in a fellowship of believers. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now let's imagine right now we're having some sort of debate, which might even be an argument, about some issue that's become of import. Imagine that's the situation. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I read that passage and I think, there is a description of how we should behave towards each other when we are exploring some of these potential differences that arise from time to time. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Now I'm not speaking prophetically when I say this, but there are times when a conversation like that may well lead to a group of people deciding that there's going to be a branching. And this branch is going to move to this space and this branch is going to move to that space. That can happen. If it happens, it needs to happen with a blessing. We have talked this through humbly and gently and we've been patient and we now realise that this leaf is going to occupy this patch of sunlight and this leaf is going to occupy that patch of sunlight and we bless each other. We bless each other at that moment of moving into a different space that God has prepared for us to occupy. That has not been the history of the divisions in the church over time. They have not occurred by a reasoned, humble, gentle, patient process resulting in a blessing to each pursue a particular branch. Unfortunately, in fact, the history of the Christian church is littered with examples where that's absolutely what hasn't happened. And to this day, there is discord dating back to the middle of the 11th century <laughs> or the middle of the 16th century. But we don't, have to, we don't have to be shaped by that kind of history. We can proclaim the unity that we have through our faith in Jesus and we can behave towards each other in a way that demonstrates the love of Jesus to the rest of the world so that the rest of the world sees unity. And there are times when we feel like saying, 
That is just not right. I know they call themselves a church. I know they sing the same songs that we have in their service. I know blah, blah, blah. But what they've decided, what they're doing is just not right. And we feel like we have to do that. Well, whose job is it to prune the vine? And I believe that we have to trust that God will do what he said he will do. He trims the vine. It's not for us to judge. We need to be wise and careful and true to what Jesus is telling us through his Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And that may mean we find ourselves in a space where we don't agree with what's happening here or there or somewhere else. But it's not for us to do the pruning. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. Otherwise, we look to the world like different tribes or different brands competing for territory, competing for market share, whatever it might be. And that is not what Jesus told us to do. Jesus told us to present ourselves to the world as one, as a group of people who follow Jesus. And, that, and our unity speaks to the world of who Jesus is. It's critically important that we show unity. Jesus says in chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Interesting, isn't it? We're not talking about a, a branch that's not <laughs> some other branch over there. It, it, Jesus is actually talking about every branch in me that's not bearing fruit. God the Father cuts it off. And every, even the branches that do bear fruit, the Father prunes so that they will be even more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, hear, you will bear much fruit and apart from me you can do nothing. I just want to pause uh, for a few moments and I will then pray a prayer to close which is rephrased from verses 20 to 23 of chapter 17 of John's Gospel. And I'll show the text on the screen as I do but I'm praying it as a prayer for all of us. And if you want to say amen at the end of the prayer, that means that you're a part of that prayer too, that you would speak the same words.
Father, we pray that all who believe in Jesus can be one. Father, you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Father, we pray that we can also be one in you. Then the world will believe that you sent Jesus and that Jesus has sent us. Jesus has given us the glory that you gave Jesus. Jesus has given us this glory so that we can be one, just as you and Jesus are one. Dear Father, Jesus is in us and you are in Jesus. So we are completely one. We pray that the world will know that you sent Jesus and that you love each of them just as you love Jesus. <laughs>